You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is Danny Anderson thanking you for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review podcast. Merry Christmas. This is uh, the first of one of our, uh, a couple of Christmas episodes that I have lined up for you. We're going to do one uh, about alternative Christmas movies uh, for an uh, upcoming as well. But uh, I want to kind of start off the season with uh, talking about the the old war horse, the perennial classic of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and A Christmas Carol. And to do that, I want to welcome back to the show, Andy Whitaker Smith, who has a new book um, out about this that you can find on Amazon um, called Keeping Christmas, The Journey of Ebenezer Scrooge. Andy, how you doing? I'm good, Danny. Thank you so much for having me again. Oh, no. Gosh, it was so much fun talking about Universal Monsters uh, and uh, the, your approach to those uh, those stories that are very precious to me that you told me that this was coming out and I, I had to jump on it. And I'm very grateful for you to uh, agreeing to come back on the show. Um, that's all, that's never <laughs> it's never a given on this place. And so, um, but uh, so, Andy, for those of you or for those of the, for those listeners, excuse me, who didn't listen to that last show, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm an, uh, a United Methodist pastor. I'm currently serving as an associate pastor at First United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. And um, it's kind of in central Florida. The church is about 130, 35-ish years old. Um, awesome congregation. And one of the reasons I wrote this book is uh, they were very encouraging about the, the story and the topic. And um, it's actually the uh, sermon series we're going through uh, for Advent. And so I kind of put this together as a as sort of a resource for groups and classes who maybe want to go a little bit deeper during the Advent season. Yeah. And I actually had the uh, the privilege of sitting in um, on one of these. I'm hoping to get in on the rest of them as well. Um, the, the, I, little Zoom Bible studies, like, is that what you would, how would you categorize these? Um, it was really wonderful. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the kind of format of this and how these books are kind of used? Right. So, yeah, we do meet on Zoom, and uh, we have a morning class and an evening class, and um, it's essentially just kind of going through the story and talking about some of the theological insights, um, and really maybe even just the personal ones. So, what does it mean for Scrooge to go through this journey, and uh, how do we see our own journey in the time of Advent? And so, you know, I, I one of the reasons I love this story so much is because I think it does still speak to us today, and and especially in, our, in those personal journeys of what what regrets or even joys do we have from our past and how do we see people today in the present and what are we either dreading or looking forward to in the future i mean i think dickens really hit on something universal here that um there's a reason this movie or this this film keeps excuse me this book (laughs) keeps getting made there's so much of it i can't get away from it um there's a reason this story keeps uh being retold and um I think Dickens really hit on something that speaks to so many of us that um, Christmas is not just a time for only one thing. Um, it really is a reality that we can live into uh, at all points of our lives. Yeah, that's great. And I just want to compliment you again on the I, the group, I suppose. It's not just you. Uh, it was a really 
it, it was a zoom meeting that worked really well. I have to say, uh, and I'm, I just assume those folks know each other from outside of zoom and, uh, they have a rapport, but it was very engaged. And I was very impressed with the, uh, the conversation that you guys had about the, uh, the, the book. And, uh, and I just, if you could, I I'm curious about how churches particularly are transitioning into sort of more of this kind of for meeting formats. And so you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it has been really encouraging to see um, how many people have adapted to different forms of getting together and communication. So, um, you know, we, we have a fairly diverse age in our congregation. I mean, we, we certainly have a lot of folks who, um, you know, at first glance, they may not seem like they would be very soon Zoom savvy, but I got to tell you, a lot of them know how to navigate Zoom better than I do. Um, and so it has been nice to see, especially with folks that, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's distance or um, portability, whatever it might be, um, a lot of our Sunday school classes have really increased in size because a lot of those folks aren't necessarily able to physically show up at our church, um, but they have figured out how to do it virtually. So, you know, this is just one example of many small groups and classes that have either started meeting for the first time or, you know, they haven't been to Sunday school in, you know, 20 years. And so it's really neat how people have found the time and the priority to, you know, try to figure these things out so that they can, you know, connect and, and reconnect. And the neat thing about this group is, you know, I'm seeing folks who, um, we have a fairly large congregation. Back when we were meeting, we had four different worship services, which essentially means we have four different churches, uh, more or less. And so you're seeing people who may not necessarily interact with each other um, traditionally. And yeah, folks are getting to know each other. They're finding commonality in you know their favorite version of A Christmas Carol. But yeah, their insights are, are really cool. I wish I had met with them while I was writing the book, because I think it would have been twice as big. But um, I think we all find that commonality with, with Scrooge and how Scrooge is being represented over the years. Yeah, that's great. Um, and yeah, I just think I want to kind of just hover on this one more second. I think that it's important to kind of make the best, you know, making lemons or making lemonade out of lemons, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I think you seem to have hit on a formula that works really well here. Um, I don't know that I would ever want this to be the permanent version of church, but um, I think it, it really has helped um, your group um, stay in contact. And it was, it was really impressive. Um, and just kind of moving on then um, about the story, about uh, a Christmas Carol itself, you just mentioned it's sort of perpetual relevance to our culture. Um, I feel like in some ways, you know, so much has been said about this, this story and we know the story so well, is it a story that we know so well that we can, that we sometimes underthink it? Uh, and it sounds paradoxical. I was kind of want your thoughts on that. I think there's, I don't think we think we take it as seriously en enough almost. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, um, the, the version that will always be ingrained in me on a subconscious level is Mickey's Christmas Carol. Um, that's probably the first version I ever saw. And, you know, I just, I love it. I have to watch it every year. And uh, so we had a tradition in my house. We would watch that one. And then immediately we would have to watch the 1951 Alistair Sim version, which I always thought was like the boring version as a kid. Although the older I get, the more I love it. And there's so much subtext, but yeah, I think, I think we get to a point where if we have a favorite movie version that um, we don't necessarily think about it thematically. We just think, oh, this is my favorite part. And um, 
one of the things that I've said over and over again is that all of us, and including myself, we when we think of Scrooge, we always think of Scrooge at the beginning of the story. So when we refer to someone as a Scrooge, we're never referring to them as the Scrooge at the very end. And so, yeah, I think it's I think it's easy for us to to typecast this story and and especially Ebenezer um, in a very superficial way. And and I think especially if you know the history and the context of why. Dickens wrote this story and why it had such a response, um, there, there are some very deep meanings uh, to it. And, you know, it, this is one of these great things where I, I mean, I read this book every year and there's always at least a tiny little nugget that I will notice that I had not noticed the year before. And, and that, you know, that's the best reason to be engaged in a story. So absolutely, I think if we allow ourselves, and that's one of the things I love about this class is that with the participants, it, it helps me even go deeper into this story. And um, I, I think it's, it's the, that's the whole point. Yeah, I'm very drawn to that approach too. And, and just like with the Universal Monsters series, um, it's almost making a kind of liturgical practice out of a popular culture sort of artifact, right? And incorporating mm -hmm. that into a religious experience. And that's something that I'm particularly drawn to, not as a replacement, of course, for the, for the primary text <laughs> for the right. scriptures, but um, as something to kind of just help us you know, think through it in our more everyday life. And so, um, yeah, I was really impressed with um, uh, your approach to this. And, and that's a great answer to that. Um, one theological question, I kind of started a little bit of a, a discussion on Twitter. Um, a few weeks ago, I interviewed Gina D'Afonso, um, who edited a plow book about the gospel and Dickens. And, uh, and we talked a bit about um, this story um along with all of Dickens's other work as well, not all of his other work, but much of his other work as well. Um, he, he wrote a lot, you know, um, and, <laughs> and yeah. Um, but someone responded, Adam Swerber, great, great friend of the show. Um, he um, responded that he has difficulty thinking of this as a, as an Orthodox, at least Christian story, because Scrooge's redemption seems to be based on his works, his, his works of doing good and not on um, grace. And, and I thought that that was a really interesting perspective. Right. And, and so I, there were, there's a big conversation that on my personal uh, Twitter feed at Danny P Anderson, if you want to check that out, um, that's going on about that. But um, I kind of wanted to get your, your perspective on that before we start breaking down how, what you kind of go in, how you organize the book. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, Danny. And I think it goes back to your, you know, what you said a moment ago about how we may not necessarily go as deep into this story as as we could. So, um, and, and I think that's a good point because a lot of times we can come out of this thinking, you know, the whole point was that Scrooge would give his money away or that Scrooge would help the poor. Those are, those are important values. But I think the thing that I have come to see about Scrooge more and more is that he was longing for a relationship as well. Uh, and I think what Adam is talking about is important because um, th there's so much illustration on how isolated Scrooge was. Um, and, and just to add a spoiler to my book, I mean, I, you know, I write at the very end that, you know, we, we take this, I think, superficial idea that Scrooge changes his mind when he sees that he's died. You know, he sees his name on the tombstone. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm dead. Well, I've got to change my life. Well, that's not really it. I mean, we all die and we all know it. So what is it, what is it seeing his name on that gravestone? What, what does that really do? And I think the piece of it is, you know, he's described at the beginning of the book as walking through the streets of London and no one interacts with him. 
You know, no one says, you know, will you come see me sometime or, you know, no children uh, rush up to see him. And so uh, he's he's this lonely figure. And there, there's a great scene in the Patrick Stewart version when the fundraisers are, you know, trying to solicit funds. And he says, you know, I just want you to leave me alone. And, and I write in the book that if he, if Scrooge were to have an epitaph, you know, a little piece about him under his name, that it would be that. I wish to be left alone. And I, th so I think when Scrooge wakes up in his room, the realization that he has a chance to be in relationship with others, that's what saves him. And that's what makes him so happy and want to, and want to give and want to do good. I would agree. It's not the works that save Scrooge. But, you know, as United Methodists, we say that we do that out of gift that we have received. It's, it, we call it sanctification. So once we, once we are aware of God's grace and we experience it, um, to put it in Scrooge terms, in fact, Bill Murray says this in Scrooge, if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. Um, that's a lot of what Wesley thought in his theology in founding the, the, the Methodist movement, this idea that when we experience God's grace, we want to experience it again. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, we can practice things like reading scripture and going to church, and that's all good, but it's also relational activities such as giving to the poor, but not just giving to, but also living with, to, to be in relationship. And when we find that these relational experiences drive us closer to who we're supposed to be, the, the act of grace is part of us living together in community. And so if that's the case, why would we not want that as much as possible? And I think that's what Scrooge is doing. I mean, it's great that he's giving, but, you know, when he says to those fundraisers at the end of the story, he says, come and see me. You know, will you come and see me? So it's not that he just wants to give. He wants to build a relationship with them and the people that he's working with. So, yeah, I think, and that's the grace in it. Yeah, if, if all Scrooge did was just give, I mean, that's great, but that's not, that's not his path of salvation. It's the idea that he doesn't want to be alone anymore. He wants to be involved in the world. Uh, and, you know, I think that's the path to grace. Yeah, that's great. And, and it's important to remember, I mean, at the end of the story, I mean, he's bought the big Christmas goose or ham or turkey. It wasn't a ham. Uh, mm. uh, so he could go to dinner with them, right? <laughs> right. right. He invites himself over for the, for the dinner, right? And so, yeah, that's, ab that's absolutely true. And also, I, I kind of think that the the imposition of the supernatural into his life is, is I mean, it's scary for him, right? Of course, uh -huh. but it is you know, God's way of reaching into the material world and, uh, and offering that communion to him. Right. So it is sort of a, an extension of, of divine grace just by introducing him to the supernatural, which is someone I, I admitted to Adam on Twitter, um, as someone who's interested in horror. I mean, that is appeal. Maybe it's a way for me to justify my interest in horror, right. Uh, theologically, but, uh, sure. but, but I also, I, I legitimately sort of see see things that way as well, um, and yeah, and I think that uh, it also I think I, I said reminded me a bit of Flannery O'Connor's um, kind of grace, which is very dark and violent in in a lot of her stories, like A Good Man Is Hard to Find, where the misfit brings grace upon this kind of aging racist grandmother by killing her, right, and offering mm -hmm. her a moment where she can actually um, accept you know uh, grace, and so it's uh, it's brutal and you know, but uh, but it is for her at least a form of, of the extension of grace. And I think that that's um, uh, a bit of what I see here on a much lighter note, of course, in, in, uh, in Scrooge's case. So um, yeah, go ahead. You want to say something? 
Well, and, I, and maybe even the best example in the story is when Scrooge goes to visit his nephew. Um, and I write about this too, which is this is the one moment when it doesn't matter how much he gives or what he does. Um, because he's at this point, he's really at the mercy of, of his family. And so, you know, the book says that uh, he, he paced back and forth a dozen times because he knows that at this moment, um, there's really nothing that he can do. And so this is where I think we actually experience the most powerful version of grace. And so he, he says to his nephew, will you let me in? Which I think is that universal question. Um, I know I don't deserve it. I, I know that um, you have every right to turn me away, but you know, will you, will you let me come in? And I think that's where we see grace because Fred could have easily have said, you know, no, you've, you've missed your chance, um, which is exactly what Scrooge is afraid of. But we do see that um, that second chance is given. So again, it's nothing that Scrooge does to earn it. Um, Fred and his, you know, Fred and his wife um, just absolutely give it. Yeah, um, despite their poor treatment <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, previously yeah. by by him, right? And so, yeah, no, that's great. And um, and yeah, before I mean, one in the kind of preface, the beginning parts of the book, you do talk about like his isolation as sort of being um, kind of the core issue, right? With with his with his fallen character um, before his redemption at the end, and I just think that that's such a an important thing to hover on in the times that we live in now where isolation is forced on many of us. And I think that there's this kind of like, uh, I'm going to make enemies here, but there, there's this sort of like way in which people kind of, kind of make introversion into this sort of like, Oh, it's just my natural state. Right. And, and it's mm -hmm. good that I am this way. And how dare you make fun of me for being an introvert. Right. Um, and certainly in, being an introvert is a thing. And I think people want to use it sometimes as an excuse to just not have to deal with people. Right. Um, and they'll just claim introversion. Right. Um, it's like my students who don't want to study. Oh, I have ADHD all of a sudden. Right. And so, um, and, and I, um, and I think that Scrooge shows us that that leads to sort of a self-imposed kind of exile that isn't necessarily healthy spiritually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can certainly say as, as an introvert, um, I mean, I, I get that at times, but you know, I mean, I, I get lonely too. And I, you know, certainly in this pandemic there, I remember, you know, the first month and a half, it was like, oh my gosh, this is heaven. And, um, and then it got real boring real quick. So I, you know, I think even, even if we label Scrooge as an introvert, the, the reality is even introverts get lonely, um, and still need and crave relationship. And, and so I think the difference we see with Ebenezer Scrooge is it's not really a lifestyle for him. It's, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think there could be a lot, and I'm sure there's books that have been published about it, but just analyzing Scrooge from a psychological aspect with what happened with him, you know, being abandoned by his father and being sent to boarding school and, you know, what kind of trauma does that do? to a little boy and, and how does that impact then the rest of your decisions, whether you even realize it or not. And most times he, Scrooge probably doesn't realize it. But I think the thing that we continue to see with him is, you know, he's abandoned by his father. Um, he's rescued by his little sister who eventually dies. And then um, he's left by his fiance. Now that one in particular, I mean, a lot of that had to do with how Scrooge was, was changing. And, and I would argue fiance actually had a lot of strength of character to, to do that. But in Scrooge's point of view, he continues to be left. 
And so when, when you, when you are experiencing that, I think from a point of trauma, it can sort of skew your vision to think, well, why should I be in relationship with anybody? They're just going to leave me. And um, so I think that's the difference between, you know, maybe an introvert saying, you know, these five people in my life, I, I really trust them and I, and I spend my energy, you know, relating to them. And so other folks, yeah, it might be a little bit more difficult or, or energy consuming, but with Scrooge, it's just this idea that again, when he says, I wish to be left alone, it's not just in a personal sense. I mean, it, like he's making a theological statement there. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes beyond more than just, you know, I hate making small talk. It's just this, um, I don't know. I don't even know what the word for it could be, but it's just, it's like his code of, of conduct. It's his worldview. Um, and I don't think it's laziness. I mean, it's an intense, not necessarily hatred. It's just, I mean, it's like taking indifference to a new level. Yeah. Um, I, I work at a sisters of mercy school and we have our particular college organizes its values around um, the four mercy values that we identify as mercy, justice, service, and hospitality, right? And I feel mm-hmm. like Scrooge lacks hospitality towards others, right? And um, and and uh, all the other failings is kind of spring from that for me. And I just want to reiterate that um, I do believe that introversion is a real thing, right? And I, I also identify as an introvert, um, but just one who... Um, realizes that life is with people rather mm-hmm. whatever my uh whatever my preferences are right and so yeah uh, thank you for making me clarify that <laughs> lest i get so much hate mail um from all the psychologists out there but um so all right so let's kind of jump right into the uh the the sequence of uh, scrooge's story here and you know you organize it along the uh the uh pattern of the book starting with the past right um and the way in which you you one thing that you say is the way in which that he dehumanizes other people um being able to see himself in the past um realizes that he has also dehumanized himself um before he's able to even dehumanize other people right do you want to talk a little bit about his experience with seeing experiencing his past again yeah so uh, with the dehumanization and and this was something it was kind of a concept that I picked up a few years ago that, you know, for a lot of us, when we dehumanize one another, we likely dehumanize ourselves as well. So, you know, it's kind of cliche, but, you know, the whole idea that we see ourselves as human doings rather than human beings, um, we get caught up in this pattern of routine where it makes me wonder when we look at the mirror, are we seeing our true self or are we just seeing this person who has these lists of tasks, you know, that we have to to accomplish and responsibilities. And so how does that devalue ourselves? Um, but with Scrooge, I, I, you, you have to wonder if you saw yourself as a child, what would it mean to try to care for that child, even though it's yourself? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I think this is where the movies are really helpful. So particularly, uh, this may sound far-fetched, but um, I, I think of the scene in uh, Mr. Magoo Christmas Carol when he sees himself and, you know, he's the little Scrooge is singing to himself and then old Scrooge, you know, comes in and it's this beautiful duet, even though the little boy can't know that his old self is there. But it's almost as like, you know, it's a grandfather and a, and a child and yet they're the same person. So how how would we feel that need to care for ourselves like we would care for for a child 
um, that was not us and yet connected to us. So there's kind of a you know paternal relationship going on there, even though it's the same person. Um, but I think the other part of that is for Scrooge, he has not remembered any of this for so many years. And part of the light of the go- of the spirit of Christmas past is sort of warming his heart back up to what it means to be human. And there's that great line of when he first shows up in the past and, and Dickens writes about all of these odors and all of these sights and all of these sounds that are stirring memories that were long, long forgotten. Um, you know, it, you, you can almost imagine this ice cube around Scrooge's heart slowly shrinking down and melting uh, to where he's being a human again. And um, so when he interacts with his uh, past people, um, again, especially like with his fiance and with his younger self, um, the Patrick Stewart version does this really well. The Michael Caine Muppets Christmas Carol, I think, does it really well, where he's trying to react with these shadows, but these shadows can't hear him. Um, and yet he's trying so hard to respond that he I don't think he even realizes it. You know, he, he doesn't want anything to do with anybody. But yet when he remembers, that's when he starts to relate once again. Yeah, that's I love that the way you framed all that in the um, in the book and, and what you just said, um, and it, it in some ways reminds me of something I do with my students, um, particularly freshmen. Uh, when and I don't encounter it as often as I used to, weirdly, but um, uh, there's this mindset of like I already know what I want to do with the rest of my life, and yeah. you know, <laughs> so why do I need to do this? Because this has nothing to do with what I know is going to happen five years from now. Um, right. And, and so, and I, I always tell them like, just imagine your imagine that you're 35 years old and you're working at a job and they hire some 18 year old to tell you what to do. Like, how are you going to feel about that? And they're like, well, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm like, well, you are that you're, you're the 18 year old that's done that to your 35 year old self. If you don't allow yourself, um, these kind this kind of perspective. Right. Um, and, uh, and then they will roll their eyes at me because you know, rightfully so. But, uh, but, (laughs) but, uh, the, um, but, the perspective that he gets by being able to kind of revisit that past kind of just illustrates the, the shadow that regret has over our lives. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that, you know, we never know it until it's over that we've done something that we regret or not done something and we regret not doing it. Right. And, uh, and I think that that's such a beautiful moment in Scrooge's life and, and the way it's so, and it's different than nostalgia, right? This isn't like nostalgia can be kind of, poisonous i would say um and what scrooge is doing here is not nostalgia right and and i mm-hmm. in very important ways do you want to talk about like how it's not nostalgia right exactly so um we actually ended up talking about that in the last group so this last thursday we talked about the past and and can so our memories as great as they are uh cannot always be trusted um, because we either we, we usually go to one extreme and it was either I mean, I guess like Dickens writes, it was the best of times or it was the worst of times. <laughs> what happens with Scrooge, though, is that he is not transported into his memories. He is transported into the past. And again, you know, so those odors and those sights and those sounds, I mean, that's exactly how it happened. And, you know, there's again in the Patrick Stewart version, there's they have a dialogue about that Scrooge in the spirit. And, you know, he's at Fezziwig's party and the spirit says, you know, is this really such a big deal? He barely spent any money on it. And Scrooge starts to think or he starts to say, you know, 
maybe things weren't really this good. And then he admits to himself, no, it was exactly like this. And I think that's what the spirit is trying to show him is that, you know, this is not your memory. It's not how you think it happened. This is really how it happened. And again, it's, it's just, you know, these are the shadows of what were. It's not all good. It's not all bad. But I think when we are confronted with our historically accurate memory as best as we can, that helps us gain some self-awareness. And so, yeah, I totally agree. I think looking on things with nostalgia, um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've, I've heard people say over the years, you know, I wish we could go back to dot, dot, dot. Camp meeting. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, yeah, that's, I understand, but um, we can't do that. And so, again, I think we have to look at things not as rosy colored, but also not as dark covered. I mean, things aren't, uh, you know, Scrooge didn't have it all bad. He had a lot of it bad, but we also see that there were people in his life who cared about him, people who loved him and, and tried to put time and energy into caring for him. And so, um, you know, I think he treats the spirit a lot like you were saying your students react to you sometimes. I mean, he does not like this spirit at all. Um, but again, the spirit says, you know, don't blame me. These are just the shadows of what happened. They are what they are. Um, but when we are confronted by that accuracy, we, we many times want to shoot the messenger um, because we don't like what we remember. Yeah, yeah. And so much of nostalgia is using memory to kind of justify the, the present self, right? And the right. present, the, my present beliefs. And, um, and that's, that's, a, that is another kind of delusion, right? And, and one of the mechanisms of grace that Scrooge receives in this is he is robbed of the ability to delude himself um, um, Mm -hmm. because of this accurate um, portrayal of his past. And I I just Mm -hmm. think that that's a really important thing for all of us to do is to this kind of self uh, inventory, I suppose, um, to know Mm -hmm. our true selves before we can kind of um, move up and onward there um, towards redemption. Um, And then we move into the present, right? The, uh, the, uh, the ghost of Christmas present. Um, And so here's where we see like the Scrooge has this tendency of thinking of people in kind of abstract and categorical terms rather than as living humans. Right. That's the whole idea about prisons and and workhouses, I think. Right. Um, And so in the present, when he's seeing other people's lives now, he's seeing that philosophy applied to real actually living people. Right. Um, And, and I, I think that that's worth kind of considering. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for, for me personally, the, the more I read this story, the, the, the more important the second stave or the third stave is for me, the, the spirit of Christmas present, because I think this is where Dickens is really honing in on a lot of the issues that were really important to him at the time, which is recognizing poverty and recognizing economic and societal oppression and not, not just walking past people who are starving. And I think, I mean, that's one of the prime reasons that, that Dickens wrote this story and particularly the character of Scrooge is that, I mean, Scrooge was the amalgamation of all of these wealthy, sophisticated Victorian elites who um, had all of the resources and, and did not share them. And so I think to take, so, so to take someone like that, if you had the power to take one of those rich individuals and actually put them in the center of what their lifestyle was doing uh, to the rest of the world, or at least the rest of London, uh, would some of them change their minds? And I think part of Scrooge is not just the grouchiness, it's not the stinginess, it's the indifference. Mm-hmm. It's the 
you know, the surplus population as he considers it. I, I think you're right, Danny. I mean, to him, people are figures. You either can pay me or not. And if you don't have the, sat the status that I do, you're not worth my time. So to be plucked up in your nightgown and slippers and to be dropped into the center, and it's not just London. I mean, he goes in around the entire world and he sees how many people are celebrating even when they have almost nothing. And they do it with such joy. Um, you know, obviously the Cratchits are the best representation of that, that, you know, they have so little, but yet they have so much. Mm -hmm. And so I think for Scrooge to see not just that people are celebrating Christmas, but just what it's like to view them as people, people with history and stories and personalities and rituals. Um, and to do that from a place of vulnerability. Um, I think the other important piece of that is in this version, you know, in this part, he's the shadow. Everything else is real. And, um, you know, hopefully Scrooge is aware of that in, in one way or another. But I think, you know, this, this gets to the justice piece of what Dickens is trying to do with the message of this story. Yeah, and and just as the the first um, the first uh, segment of the book, what are they called again? Uh, I'm, there's losing uh, the, the the sections there. Uh, oh, the staves. Staves. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't produce the word there. Um, the first stave is about sort of dealing with the reality of the, the past. The second one is about dealing with the reality of your present philosophy, right? And and the kind mm -hmm. of um, the ways in which your present philosophy dehumanizes people, and in turn creates your own sense of loneliness um, mm -hmm. because of the way you've dehumanized people. And and yeah, and I think that um, the idea, the I don't know, just sort of the way in which um, this part of the story emphasizes the need for mutual aid, right, uh, in society, mm -hmm. and, and the fact that community is something that is necessary for society to function um, in a just way is, is that's what makes this, I mean, it's the center spirit, right? And it is central to the book in that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and I think that's an important piece of the spirit is that he's not just a jolly, you know, Santa-like individual, but he's also very prophetic. And so when, when Scrooge starts to warm up to tiny Tim and asks, you know, what's going to happen to him. And the spirit says, you know, if things don't change, he's likely to die. And then mockingly, he says to Scrooge, but if he's likely to die, then he better do it and decrease the surplus population. Um, and then there's that great line. It's probably my favorite and, and not necessarily for good, but it's very convicting. He says, oh God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronounce on the too much of life among his hungry brothers in the dust. Mm. Um, you know, I think, I, this spirit is is obviously the most convicting to say that um, we are doomed if we continue to live a life of ignorance and want and to not get involved in other people's lives. Yeah. And it's something that sounds kind of counterintuitive and to say as a Christian, but this is a way in which shame actually is a productive thing, right? right. Um, yes. we, we tend to like run away from the idea of shame um, because of things like grace, right? Mm -hmm. But um, being shamed is an important part of uh, like hearing those words put back into his mouth. It, it shames Scrooge in a very productive way. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think in some, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, that was part of Jesus's ministry is, I mean, I don't know as I go so far as to say shame, but I think with people in power, that that was part of it. It And I think at the, at the, at the most, Jesus was trying to get people to see that which they would not let themselves see. Yeah. So again, you have you have people with wealth and means in in the time of Christ uh, ignoring the poor. 
And part of what Jesus did was to say, you know, no, this is where the kingdom is. Um, which is obviously a, one of the reasons that he was finally sentenced to death, which was the people in power saying, you know, this is a threat. We need to stop it. Um, he's making people see things that we don't want them to see. Yeah. Yeah. There's a way in which like peace and, you know, whatever continuity as an end into itself is just perpetuating unjust um, systems that depend on the injustice. Right. And, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, and it's things, if we don't want to call it shame and, and I agree, I, I don't know that as a Christian, you need to feel shame after you've sort of accepted the grace. Right. But um, as a way of getting there, I think that uh, it's an important aspect of getting there. Um, the, uh, I want to get to the ghosts a bit, but before we, I want to kind of talk about the ghosts in more kind of general terms, Terms. But before I do that, let's finish up um, the sequence of visitations uh, with the, the, the scary one, <laughs> the ghost of Christmas yet to come, right? Um, so what does being in the presence of death basically do to Scrooge and do to all of us, I suppose? Yeah, and I think, um, and again, this is where we can let ourselves not necessarily go deeper than we could. So, I mean, I certainly thought as a kid, um, you know, when he sees his name on the gravestone, it's like, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm going to die. No, I've changed. And, um, you know, that's not really it at all. I don't think, I mean, the reality is we all know that death is coming for us. We, we, um, it's one of those realities that we probably don't think about a whole lot until it's looking at us in the face. Um, but our mortality is always something that we've just kind of taken as an assumed reality. Um, but that's not what changes Scrooge. It, we see that um, he is finally at the point where people actually matter to him. And again, this is where it's important for us to remember that not only does he dehumanize others, but he also dehumanizes himself. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the story, he, he really doesn't care about himself. I mean, um, some of the movies have done a really good job of portraying Scrooge's appearance as very disheveled. And even though he's wealthy, he could afford better care of himself he doesn't so he doesn't even care about himself he doesn't care about what he eats he doesn't care about what he wears um but there's this inclination that he is starting to care about himself more so by the end of the story when he hears all of these people talking about this guy who's dead and you know no one cares about him and they would just as soon you know ransack his house um he starts to empathize with that person whoever it is and then when he realizes it's him part of the fear is he finally starts to care about himself and um, this theme that has been haunting him is what he told the fundraisers at the beginning of the story when they say, you know, how much should we put you down for to help the poor? And Scrooge says nothing. And they say, you mean you wish to be anonymous? And Scrooge says, no, I wish to be left alone. And that's like, that's the cosmological reality that he is living in that could be the, the epitaph on his gravestone. Um, in fact, I, I kind of wish that Dickens would have put that on there because I think it would have solidified for us, the audience, exactly what it is that Scrooge is now in horror about. Because it's not, it's not just that he sees his name, but now he realizes everything that that represents and the idea that this is what it means to be alone. Mm -hmm. It means that no one cares about your death. It means that you have no, you have no connection to the world or to humanity, which he now cares about. So what would it be like to realize that you are totally and unequivocally disconnected? And I think that's the horror 
that that Scrooge feels and why he says, I'm not the man I was. I'm not that person anymore. You know, please don't condemn me to a life in the abyss of loneliness. Yeah. Darkness was cheap and that's why Scrooge liked it or something. So there's right. some, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and that's an interesting aspect that I don't think we pay enough attention to. Yeah. He's super rich and he doesn't live like that at all. He won't buy that extra piece of bread in, in the right. restaurant when he's by himself. Uh -huh. And so yep. like the idea of making money is like the end and of itself, right? It, it, like he's reduced everything to calculation, right? And, mm -hmm. and he doesn't, he doesn't even enjoy being rich, right? He doesn't do it for comfort, right? He does it for the right. opposite of comfort. Um, and, and yeah, and I think that that, that that's the realization that's sort of important to come to there at the end. Um, one thing in the book that you wrote, it, it's, I never thought of before, I guess there's a Jim Carrey version um, mm -hmm. where the implication is that Scrooge isn't necessarily dead, but he becomes the spirit of Christmas future, basically himself. And I thought that was fascinating yeah. little, little thought experiment. Well, it was just a little theory that I toyed with because there's a, so there's a part in the, in the movie when uh, he goes to the Cratchit's house and, you know, tiny Tim has died. And, and so Scrooge is sitting on the steps and he's watching Bob, you know, uh, sit with his son who has passed and the, the spirit is behind him like a shadow. And in fact, a lot of, in a lot of the scenes with the spirit of future, um, he, he acts as, or it acts as Scrooge's shadow. In fact, when you first see the spirit, it, it turns from Scrooge's shadow. So I started to think like, what if, and I don't know why it popped in my head, but I just started thinking like, what if that becomes, what if Scrooge becomes the spirit? And, and I think it, it especially dawned on me that, you know, there's, there's this moment of empathy that the spirit has when Scrooge is begging for his life. And I thought, what if, what if that's the moment of redemption that, you know, Scrooge sort of becomes the embodiment of, of how he has lived as this cold hearted figure. Why would he not become the spirit of Christmas future, which is this dark, you know, ghastly kind of being. And is this the moment when the spirit sort of becomes human again? And that's why the kind finger starts to tremble. And um, I mean, there's some holes in it, but um, I don't know. It just seems like maybe that's why we never see who's under the, the cloak. And um, it, it would seem to me that that could be an interesting take on, on a movie version is that, um, you know, you see that the person under the hood is actually Scrooge himself. Well, and it, and it brings me to my question about the ghosts, the spirits, maybe. Is, is, I mean, there are ghosts and there are spirits, right? Uh, mm -hmm, they're, right. That are st distinct in this story. Um, like Marley is a ghost, right? And, um, mm -hmm. uh, and they're, they themselves are sympathetic figures in, in, in the story. And, and you brought out how in the, the book, you don't really see, I can't think of a version where I've seen this portrayed on film where he looks out the window and he sees some ghosts trying to help a, a homeless woman or something on the street. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and they're unable to, and stuff like that. And uh, do you want to like, I, you had some really interesting things to say about that. Do you want to uh, kind of elaborate on that? Because I think the ghosts themselves, um, and, and this is what I think lends some credence to your, your theory is, you know, maybe he's on the road to being one of these spirits, like a wraith in uh, for Lord of the Rings or something. Right. And so, right. Um, but yeah, do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's a line when, when Marley appears to Scrooge, he says it, it is required of every person to go forth in life and, you know, be abroad, live abroad among 
fellow humanity. And if they do not do so in life, they're condemned to do so after death. And so what Scrooge discovers is it's not just Marley. I mean, he sees hundreds of ghosts floating around. And so, again, I, it's not necessarily, uh, I guess, biblically accurate, but I don't think Dickens is necessarily going for that. But th but this idea that if we, we will be um, involved with each other's lives, whether we choose to or not. And so part of the curse that Marley and so many others have is this idea that we can choose to ignore while we are alive, but it does not change the reality. And so if we do not accept that reality now, we will accept that reality later, um, if nothing else, out of sheer force. And, and again, I think it's not as though like you die and then you're given this all of this knowledge that you didn't have before. It's like, oh my gosh, now I get it. No, they get it because now they see it mm. and they have no choice. And so it's it's almost like this kind of divine empathy that you are given because you have no choice but to float through the sufferings of humanity. And maybe it takes time. I mean, maybe the first few times it's like, yeah, I still don't care. But eventually you will care. Uh, the more you see it and the more you're in the midst of it, the more you'll start to empath empathize. And so you see all of these spirits looking at this homeless woman down, you know, on Scrooge's street and uh, she's holding this baby and they're, you know, they're freezing and they're just like throwing the spiritual money at her. And I think it's the Muppets version, actually. It's kind of spooky for a kid's version, but there's this one saying, you know, oh, I wish I could help you. I, I wish I could help you. And um, again, I don't think Dickens is saying that you, you acquire some sort of ghostly power of awareness. It's just the fact that now you see it mm -hmm. and you can't just walk past it. Like you have to float around this person and just witness their suffering and think, I could have done something, but I didn't. The, and now I can't. Hmm. The common union between all people is is a metaphysical thing itself, and mm -hmm. these people can't see it until they get to the metaphysical plane, right? You know, and, right. and yeah, that's interesting, and that's in the Muppet version. That's my favorite version, and I, I don't remember that. Uh, I, I yeah. somehow I I still can't remember that scene. I guess I haven't seen it that many times, um, but yeah, oh, that's great. Um, so yeah, I think that's just a fascinating. It's almost like a, an interesting version of purgatory. Um, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and in fact, I mean, I would argue to say, I mean, if, if purgatory is real, I think it would be more of that, not being in some distant place where you're just sort of floating in the abyss. But I think a true act of purgatory would be floating through uh, people's lives and, and not being able to impact anything. And the, I guess, the grace that's grace is bestowed upon the ghosts then, like Marley, when someone's finally able to see him, right? When... Um, yeah. Yeah, and and Dickens doesn't go too much into that, but I've always wondered, you know, it's it's I think it's a hopeful idea. So he, you know, Marley says to Scrooge, "I've been here many times and you've not been able to see me. And how it is you can see me tonight, I don't know." Mm -hmm. And so I've always wondered like did Marley go through some kind of rehearsal to to say, "Okay, here's what I need to say to Scrooge because I'm only going to have 5 minutes." But um it seems to be that Marley is able to come through and it's almost like, "Oh my gosh, you can see me." So, um if you had that, if you had that experience, you know, if if you saw someone who could not see you and you would think to yourself, "Oh, if only, mm -hmm. you know, if only I could say this." And then like you get your chance, you know, you got to get it right. But I think there is a glimpse of redemption for Marley to say why is he now visible to Scrooge? Is it only for Scrooge's redemption or might it be for Marley's as well? I, I, I don't know. I would like to hope that there is a, there is a redemption for Marley as well. 
Yeah, that is so interesting. Um, I, this is this is the story is just endlessly interesting, right? And um, yeah, and, and it reminds me also of the Sixth Sense, our network. I was the Halloween crossover, and this year mm-hmm. we did M Night Shyamalan movies, and I believe it was City of Man. Go to ChristianHumanist.org, and you can find all those. Um, and that's basically the theme of the Sixth Sense, right? Is this little boy mm-hmm. can finally can see these dead people who have been invisible to the rest of the world until they right. come across his path, and so um, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting theological question there. Um, and ultimately the, re- you make an interesting point in the pa- in the sections about redemption. Um, and then we'll kind of wrap up with this. Um, and then I want to ask you what your favorite adaptation is, although you already know, but, um, um, but the folks listening at home don't, um, the, at one point you talk, you say the miracle of love, whether it's at Christmas or any other time of the year is not just about what we give, but what we receive, what we allow others to give us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really um, profound thought about um, giving and grace, right? And I think so often when we think of charity or things like that, uh, this is a failing of charity, um, is that it's us, it's a one-way me giving something to somebody else and mm-hmm. not allowing them to give me something, right? And this is why I think mm-hmm. mutual aid is a better kind of concept than charity. But uh, w- what are your sort of thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I guess it's kind of cliche in in some ways, and sometimes it can be unhealthy to say, you know, oh, it, I, I got way more out of it than... Um, because again, I think it, it causes a degree of separation to say, you know, I'm doing ministry to someone rather than with. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that word with is very important. But I think that's what Scrooge does. So again, going back to the whole good works, it's not the it's not just that Scrooge gives money finally to the two fundraisers at the end of the story, but when he says, "Will you come and see me?" And going back to the Muppets, I had not remembered this until I just watched it this weekend. Um, there's that great piece where Beaker uh, gives Scrooge his scarf. Mm. And, you know, um, Bunsen says something, you know, uh, wish we could do something for you. And Beaker takes his scarf and, and Scrooge is like, for me, this is a gift for me. And it's such a great little piece because he's dressed all in black, you know, Scrooge is. And, and he, Beaker gives him this, this solid red scarf. And it's, I mean, like that. That's what it's about right there. And I think even with um, Mickey's Christmas Carol, when all the kids are, you know, climbing over Uncle Scrooge and um, it really brings this idea that it's that it is a two way. It is. That's what relationship is. It is about what you give, but also what you receive. And Scrooge finally receives a family. Um, he receives a family in Fred and his wife. He receives a family with the Cratchits, and he receives a family in the community that he's finally in. So it's not as though Scrooge is still alone, um, and he's just being this good person. My guess would be that in those moments, um, years later, when he feels that old Scrooge kind of boiling back up for whatever reason, that it's the people in his life who remind him what's truly important. So yeah, it is kind of cliche to, to say, you know, it's better to give than to receive or vice versa or whatever, but it's true. I mean, it's a both and. So it's not just that we give and that's it, but the grace is that we also receive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is such a great um, idea. And it's such a great way to kind of end this conversation here about um, this really, really wonderful little book. And uh, I have to say again, I really, I love what you do. To me, this is like, 
a, a more ideal form of, of scholarship than what people like in my profession do writing for 12 other people. Like you're writing something about something that a, a particular group cares about and you're sort of um, communing through that text. And I, th I just think it's great. And, uh, and I love the fact that you're making use of the Zoom stuff and, and Amazon publishing and all that kind of thing to, to make it happen. I think it's really great. Um, I already said the Muppets is my, my favorite version. Although, I mean, I kind of grew up on the George C. Scott one. That was the big one in my childhood, right? And, and it's great. I have no problem with any of them. Um, I've actually never seen Scrooged. I've never Ever seen the Bill Murray one? Bizarrely, mm -hmm. I don't know how I've missed it. Um, I'll, I'll try to make that up this year. But uh, what's your favorite one? You like the old one? Yeah. So you'll you'll pretty much figure that out if you read the book Keeping Christmas. But I, I refer to the 1951 version, the British version with Alistair Stem, quite a bit. And and again, it was part of my tradition growing up. So my my dad would um, allow me to watch the cartoon versions but then i had to watch the uh the black and white which again as i said as a kid it seemed really boring but and maybe it's because i watched it so many times it did start to grow on me and um i think it's one of the one of the one of the better adaptations of the spirit of the book particularly how alistair sim portrays scrooge because before that um scrooge was kind of portrayed as just a grouchy sort of person you know he was very angry and rageful alistair sims seemed to do something new at the time which was he was a lot more sophisticated but also a lot more indifferent mm -hmm. so it wasn't just that he was mad at the world he really didn't care about the world and, and i think that was that drew me to looking at scrooge as more of a complex figure um and so i have to watch that version every year i i do like uh the the george c Scott version, particularly the the spirit of Christmas present. Um, I think he's probably the best prophetic spirit in most of the versions. Um, I do love Muppets for its simplicity, um, but it also does a really good job, I think, of honoring the book. Like Gonzo is Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. I think he does a really good job of narrating us through the story. And um, yeah, the Patrick Stewart one I think is really good. Um, it's it's grown on me over the years. Um, I have not seen the newest one with um, I think it's Guy Pierce as Scrooge. I've heard it's really really dark mm -hmm. and and it takes a lot of liberties. Going back to calculations, Danny, you were saying Scrooge is very calculating, um, and I guess this is kind of a spoiler alert. But I I noticed with the character like at the end he's he's very happy and he's giving but he still kind of has those old personalities. So it's sort of alluding to the idea that Scrooge doesn't fully change. I mean, he's still kind of the formulaic person that he was, but he also has a new outlook. Um, I think it's also kind of a mini series. So it's like really, really long. I just haven't had the time to digest it yet. Oh, interesting. Um, and, and I also realized I, I've still not seen the man who invented Christmas, um, which is I've a, not either a movie. I need to, I need to watch this, this, uh, this semester, this, uh, this season, um, listen to my brain. Um, so, well, Andy Whitaker Smith, thank you. That's, it's always so great to have you on. Um, I really love your approach to these things and I love the kind of thing you do. And, uh, if you're, any future project, you're more than welcome to, uh, to show up and, and talk about, um, I love having you on. Can you, um, uh, this will be out and there'll still be a few weeks left in the series. Uh, do you want to talk about how people might find it and look, find the book? 
Yeah. So if you if you would like the book, it's on Amazon. Um, I, I found that the easiest way to find it is just to type in my name, uh, which is Andy Whitaker Smith, W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R space Smith. Um, there's actually quite a few books called Keeping Christmas, so you may not necessarily find mine. Um, but there's a paperback version. Uh, there's also uh, an e-version um, if you'd like to read it electronically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really a, a great read and, um, and it's a, a great thing to do, I think this time of year. So, well, Andy Whitaker Smith, thank you. Um, have a great Christmas season, have a great advent and, and good luck with the, uh, the rest of the series. I'm going to try and join it myself a few times here before the, uh, before it's over. Um, but for those of you listening, if you have any questions, uh, don't hesitate to get in contact with the show, uh, for Andy Whitaker Smith, my name is Danny Anderson, thanking you for listening to another episode of the sectarian review podcast. Yeah.